With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we've got a great two-parter. Up first, we talk with the team behind the new Sons of Anarchy spinoff, Mayans MC. And then we dive into You, the new drama from Lifetime based on the best-selling novel. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and I'm here with the team behind Mayans MC, Kurt Sutter, Elgin James, and J.D. Pardo. How are you guys doing? Yeah, hey, good. Thank you. Thanks Congrats. for having us. Thanks sure. For Thanks for joining me. First of all, congratulations on the show. It looks fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. The obvious question, let's just start it. Why did you want to go back into this world, Kurt? Money. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. we, we get paid? <laughs> no, no, no. It's all about charity. It's all charity. Um, look, we had talked about, forgive me, I have a candy in my mouth and I refuse to take it out, um, um, which is always good for a podcast. Exactly. Um, we uh, we had talked about the idea of the show, like season four of Sons, and it came up for a different reason. It came up because we were, um, I think it was Eric Schreier from the network was they're making a deal with some Spanish language um, affiliates and wanted to know if there was any if I had any ideas. And the only thing off the top of my head was well, the only thing I could think of would be. You know, something that takes um, place in the world of uh, our Latin club, the Mayans. And, and that didn't go anywhere. I mean, that whatever deal that was either happened or didn't happen. Um, but um, the idea of the show never went anywhere. And then as Sons was wrapping up and, you know, the IP has been very successful for them. And they were thinking about how do we keep it going and do we do a prequel, do, you know. Um, and that's when the idea of, of doing the show came, you know, became a reality and, um, and we both knew, well, by, uh, Landgraf and I both knew that we didn't want to uh, do it right on the heels of the Suns and sort of cannibalize um, the IP. Um, and at the time I was going to do, uh, I dovetailed right from Suns into um, Bastard Executioner. And and we, you know, um, and then when um, that show ended, we only did one season. You know, I, I still had my deal together with uh, Fox and FX and... So then it became more of a reality, and we started, you know, working on ideas, and um, and uh, uh, and that's when uh, you know I knew I had my basic premise for the show, how I felt we could um, have it be unique without having it feel too familiar, uh, was that I knew I wanted to set it on the border. I knew that. Um, our hero was going to be a prospect. It wasn't going to be, um, he didn't have a lineage to the club like Jax did. He was going to be an outsider. He was going to be somebody that necessarily didn't necessarily belong there. Um, 
and uh, and that was uh, sort of my broad strokes, and um, and then I really, you know, I knew intuitively that uh, a white guy from Jersey shouldn't be writing about the Latino culture on his own, uh, and not because it's politically incorrect, which clearly is not high on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> Breaking it, news. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was really about, you know, creatively, how do I, you know, how do we, because, you know, uh, what, how do I honor the show creatively? Who do, who do I, uh, you know, who do I do it with? And, and started meeting with uh, a lot of writers and, and uh, got to sit down with Elgin and, uh, um, and his story fascinated me. His background fascinated me and uh, uh, incredibly bright and intuitive guy. And uh, uh, he was the, the right fit for us to move forward. Well, that's a perfect segue to Elgin. What is it about this world that's so appealing? What was the story that you wanted to tell? Uh, it's actually the other way around. It's a story that I didn't want to tell. You know, and I swore that I never would. I didn't want to talk about violence or um, especially like gang life and the gang that I was in. A lot of my brothers became uh, joined one percenter clubs. So something I wasn't going to touch with a 10-foot pole until this came up and I knew the opportunity. And I was such a fan of Sons and of Kurtz. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to meet him. And I always say, like, I told him, I was honest when I saw him, that going in to meet him was scarier than going into prison because it was like a different world. I knew what was at stake. And uh, I didn't know what to expect because it was Kurt Sutter. Have you met Kurt I had no idea what to expect from this guy. And then as he'll get mad when I say it, but he was incredibly like sweet and humble. And we started talking about the story that should be told. And I just wanted it so badly after that. And then I knew the reason I was so scared to do it is because I had to do it. And J.D., what was your entry into this world? How did you get cast? I, um, you know, like anything else, it came through an audition. I think that everybody knew about Mayans and wanted to be a part of it. Um, and so, so did I. You know, I wanted to be a part of it in some form. And... Um, you know, so I met Wendy O'Brien, a casting director, and then and then uh, I eventually got into within the process where just reading for a bunch of characters, uh, Kurt was going to be there, Elgin, and so there were like six characters, and I just remember uh, memorizing all six characters. I didn't, for me, it was whatever they wanted, whatever they were going to ask of me, I was going to do, and. Um, and then, so that's when I had that face to face with Kurt and Elgin and, and, um, and Kurt and I had a, a very honest conversation about, um, myself and about the character, the world that he's creating. And, and, um, I, you know, like Elgin said, I, I just knew what was at stake. You know, I knew that I wanted this, um, and it was so strange because as an actor, you're very selfish. You have to be. But this was something where I knew it wasn't about me. It was about the cast. It was about the crew. It was about FX. And so I, I you know, short of begging, I <laughs> told Kurt that if he gave me this opportunity that I would not let him down. And so he told me uh, basically to take the easy sides, and, and I went outside to um, – to study them and you know at the end of the day there's so many things that are going through your head and and there was really nothing that I can offer <coughs> Kurt other than 
I just made the decision to give them my heart. I just said, that's, I'm going to give these guys my heart and, and lay it all out on the table. No expectations, but I, uh, the, I promised myself that I was not going to leave that room saying to myself that I should have done things differently or I wish I had done this. So I laid it all out there. Uh, we must have been in the room together for like, felt like an eternity, but I'm sure it was like 45 <laughs> minutes. That's just the actor exaggerating in me. And, um, and then when we were done, you know, we all hugged it out and, and um, I went to my car and, and just cried, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it, it was very emotional for me. And, and the next day I um, had an offer to test with, um, with an X-Men show for Fox and I was driving over there and I didn't want to go because I wanted Mayans and... Um, but I, I reluctantly, I was in the car just driving over, and I get a call from um, you know my team, and they just say, "Go home." And I said, "Well, you wouldn't be telling me to go home if something didn't happen. <laughs> what happened? What happened?" And uh, and they said, "You know, they're giving you uh, the offer for easy." And again, I cried. <laughs> That's what Kurt Sutter does to people. He makes <laughs> you cry. <laughs> he makes you cry. Um, and so I, I went home, and and uh, you know the rest is just. Uh, Man, just the dream to be involved with these two. It's a dream. What shouldn't get lost to history is the fact that JD had originally come in for Easy and read for it and then was brought back later to read for a bunch of lesser roles and he learned every single one of the roles. Like, that's this kid's work ethic. You know, it wasn't about his ego at all. And then it was exactly how it was meant to be, but. He's not leaving. He's leaving that part out because he's being humble. But he came in for it, was told to come back for all these other smaller roles, and he killed every single one of them. So we got yeah, someone special. And honestly, the, the truth the truth is is that I just knew, and I told Kurt this in the room that because um, he mentioned, you know, he 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 did say he's like, look, I I do like you. Um, would you what do you think about another role? Like, and I just I just told him I wanted to be a part of his world, and it's true. I I just I find myself wanting to be a part of his world, you know, like a child. I just want to be a part of the Kurt Sutter world. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a tremendous cast, and it really is a statement to see a cast like this on screen. How much did that mean to all of you? To see the cast? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just, it means it means the world. And, you know, we said it a lot. I know I said it to you before, but it's just about... The having seen black and brown characters for so many years as these one-dimensional criminal characters, right? And for the first time, those of us on the show, in front of the camera, behind the camera, who grew up in a cycle of poverty, violence, and incarceration, and for the first time, we get to tell, because of this man, because of Kurt, we get to tell our story from the inside out. It just means the world. Even just being in a room with a bunch of guys with the same skin color, as small and as stupid as that seems, and not just be the only one for the first time, you know? It was, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, they they um, they're all just a bunch of special men, and I'm not saying that like mentally they're special. <laughs> they're just they're, they they have these great like experiences, these these, these stories, this life, and um, it was definitely a situation to walk into where I knew right off the bat just knowing their history and who they were and and um, that there wasn't going to be any sort of preaching from me. There wasn't going to be any sort of like. It was going to be less talking and more doing, and um, to earn their respect, you know. So um, I love our guys. 
I know the reason the show is coming out now because this is when the show is ready, but it does feel particularly timely in terms of the headlines that we're facing. You know, is that something you're going to be addressing, or is that just something you know that just sort of feels natural with the storytelling? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it is very interesting. It's sort of um, I equate it a little bit to uh, what happened with uh, Sean Ryan on the Shield. You know, he was. Uh, um, the timing of that show, I think, I think if this telling the story the correct way, like Sean was hired to write like a half hour comedy, and then ended up writing The Shield. It's uh, hilarious. <laughs> I just remember laughing my way through it. And, uh, <laughs> and then, but it was just the timing of it in terms of nine eleven and all that stuff, you know, and everything that was happening with Rampart. It was just a really interesting world where the demeanor and you know, um, dirty work ethic of a guy like Vic Mackey uh, made sense, right? And could and could flourish uh, and be accepted. Um, uh, and uh, and for us, you know, I mean, when we started doing early drafts of this, it was prior to uh, presidential elections, and you know, not that there the border hasn't always been sort of a a volatile, you know, political subject, but, you know, it didn't become a, uh, uh, the way it is now in, in, uh, in, in such a severe, almost absurd kind of way. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't write political shows, uh, and I say this again, nor should I. <laughs> <laughs> Come but, on, we'd lull them. You know. <laughs> Because um, West Wing would have only lasted a season because they were all been, they all would have been you know they would I wouldn't been, give anything to see a curse or West Wing <laughs> they all would have fucked or killed each other so uh, um, uh, but uh, you know um, uh, it was actually a West Wing spec that got me my job on the Shield really yeah. really yeah. fun wow. fact fun fact it was about wow. it was about, oh, please I want it was that. about a seven year old who down the street from the White House there was a shooting where a seven year old killed another seven-year-old wow yeah that's pretty intense yeah <clears throat> didn't get me a job on Westwood. <laughs> but the shield <laughs> it put me it gave me you know it created a restraining order between me and Sorkin but uh, no uh, uh, but um, you know so for us it's you know we never deal with the politics of it right but to do you know for me and my mandate on sons and my mandate on minds as well is, you know, if I create three-dimensional authentic characters, I create authentic relationships, I create an authentic world where every detail of the world is real. That's why I drive set deck and art direction and, you know, props crazy because I'll fucking... You know, I will finesse and, you know, obsess over the smallest detail. But for me, when I nail down all those authentic um, qualities, then it allows me to tell really big stories, right? When everything's rooted in, in that kind of authenticity, then the stories can be as big and as absurd as I want them to be. And uh, and those are the kind of stories I like to tell, right? Uh but, I, you know, um, it all has to sort of be rooted in that uh, reality. So, 
in in the case of the border, that reality includes what's happening at the border. So, um, you know, we deal with um, the energy that's happening on both sides in terms of the vigilanteism. We deal with, you know, the difficulties of uh, crossing the border, the the pressures of all that. And uh, and I always use this as as the parallel. Um, you know, on Sons, we never addressed or discussed the Obama administration or the fact that there was an African-American um, uh, in the White House. But what I discovered in my research was that there was a 40% uptick in the enrollment of white supremacist groups, right? So I was like, wow, how do I talk about that without talking about that? And what it enabled me to do is the authenticity and the reality of, you know, an antagonist who is rooted in that world, and that became, you know, the uh, uh, the Adam Arkin character, and 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 that became the whole thrust of uh, of those uh, middle seasons, and uh, so I was able to use that reality politically um, into story without ever commenting on it, and and that's pretty much what we'll uh, we'll do on Minds. I love how the first couple of episodes have winks and nods to sons. Is that something that you wanted to do to sort of honor the fans? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because for me, you know, those worlds dovetail all the time, right? You know, especially now we leave with Jack's, you know, it takes place in a post-Jack's Teller world and real time, three years have passed, and we know that Jack's had a real solid relationship with Alvarez by the end, and those clubs were bonded, and, uh, you know, they're going to dovetail. They still get their weapons from, you know, from Charming. and uh, But for me, I can take sort of auxiliary pieces of that mythology and have them intersect with our world without bringing in major characters um, that fuck with that mythology. Because I really want people to leave sons thinking, wow, what does that look like now? And I want that to live on in their imagination. Like, what is Chibs doing now? What is, t- you know, I don't want to put anything in their brains to alter or manipulate how they, you know, what their, you know, what their understanding of that world is. But I can take auxiliary characters that perhaps are not, um, that don't dictate uh, any certain direction that the club might have gone has that the club uh, has gone in since then. <clears throat> so that's pretty much how we'll continue to do it. You know that the the use of um, anything that's sons related will be authentic to the world. It's it'll it'll have to make sense in a st- you know story wise and uh, um, you know the uh, the nod in the pilot uh, is because you know our character. Uh, you know, I get to use the device of flashbacks with uh, Easy that I, I never used on Sons because I always felt like it would pull me out of the reality of the world. I never did any of that. But with Easy and, and his character and his, you know, intelligence and his sort of photographic memory, it felt inauthentic to have that be part of how he lives his life. And the idea that, you know, uh, you know, there's a... Uh, we have um, David Hidalgo sings our theme song, uh, and uh, Bob Thiel did the music, and I wrote the lyrics. And you know, the final lyric is um, uh, 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 "Every howl marks the debt, because a beaten dog never forgets." Right? 
and the idea that here's a guy who, you know, like we, you know, as much as we like try to push out bad memories and numb bad memories, this is a guy that can't forget anything. And what is it like to like live with a brain like that? The pros and the cons of all that, and uh, uh, and that's something we will will uh, explore on the show. Boy, that was a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, right. <laughs> all right, I know you guys have to go, so just leave me. Give me one word to describe the show for you. How does it feel? Fierce, epic, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> expect nothing less. Thank you so much. It's been Thank a pleasure. You so Thank much. you very much. So that was what Kurt Sutter, Elgin James, and J.D. Pardo had to say about Mayans MC. Up next, let's talk about Lifetime's new drama, You, starring Penn Badgley and Elizabeth Lale, and showrunner Sarah Gimble. Hi, and welcome to the Remote Controlled Podcast. I'm Danielle Terciano, Associate Features Editor in Television at Variety. And today we have the creator of You and showrunner Sarah Gamble, as well as two of its stars, Penn Badgley and Elizabeth Lale. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Hello, thank you. Yes, thank you. So the first thing, obviously, I have to ask, uh, it's based on a book by Carolyn Kepnes. So what did you find were the challenges of adapting it for the screen but keeping the tone? Well, it is a very singular tone. Um, We want, if we were going to do this, we wanted to capture the thing that makes the book so sticky and delicious and hard to forget and disturbing, which is that it's kind of two things at the same time. It's a kind of scary thriller and it's also a really warm and intimate romance. It's both things, and it kind of has to be both things. So we had to figure out a language and a way to tell the story that um, really made you feel both at the same time. And for you guys as actors, I mean, what of that language was big draw for, for you to take the roles? I think for me, for me, it was, I was really interested to hear Sarah's perspective as well, particularly as a woman, because... Um, as a man having to consider playing Joe, I was a bit perplexed, you know? I was like, I get why this, I get why it's, um, as she said, it's a great word, sticky, you know? It is sticky. You're like, ah, uh, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it, of course. But when it came to playing him, I think I, I wanted to pick her brain a bit, as well as Greg's, and then eventually Carolyn's as well, who wrote the book. And you know what I kind of like is it. They had lots of brilliant ideas. And then at the end of the day, it was also a little bit like, you know, I don't think anyone can have a complete answer as to why it, everything that makes it so sticky. It's a bit like the human condition, you know. It's, um, And particularly for, the, you know, the cultural moment. where I don't want to refer to it only as a cultural moment, but given everything that's happening right now, you know, saying Me Too feels like a, almost a, a dismissal of, of how large the whole thing is. But... Um, so I think for me it was always being really interested, like, huh, yeah, this is this is this is sticky, this is fascinating. But I'm almost I'm almost like more interested in what other people think because I do have to play Joe. And frankly, for that reason, it's like I kind of it's almost like as if he were a family member and he's you know uh, who he is. And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, technically, technically, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> technically speaking, but it's the kind of love that that. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the kind of love that we always recognize as love. So the the fact that playing him could even elicit this this sort of 
thought process, I think, is is really what compelled me from from the first moment. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than being like, I like him. <laughs> He's nice. Oh, I get to do a cool action scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it was none of that. It was like, ooh, wow, this is this is intriguing. Yeah, I too was also attracted to the to the stickiness of what comes with Beck, which is like a maybe on a, she's at a different level than Joe on the sticky factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but she like I'm attracted to like the the struggle, her struggle um, in all areas of her life, because uh, that's what's really exciting to play as an actor is the struggle, and then it just it gets deeper and deeper. The, the closer and closer she gets to Joe. And I mean, you guys are all calling it sticky, which I think is a great word. Um, the fact that, you know, Joe is a guy who is effectively stalking Beck. Not Ooh. effectively. <laughs> well, it's pretty Actually. effective. Actually. Totally. That's not even on a technicality. That is super stalking. No, not even. Yeah. So what are the challenges um, from both the writing and the acting perspectives of, you know, portraying that portraying the physicality of what he's doing, but also the internal, the why behind what he's doing and, and getting to understand who he is. We're portraying the physicality. I think you've got to take that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is again where I say like, you know, my relationship to it is unique in that I I really like the show. More ambivalent about Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I've never experienced that before. It's, ne- it's kind of cart before the horse, or maybe it's always been cart before the horse and now it's finally <laughs> appropriate. Um, you know, he, 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 uh, let's see, I guess it's like the bullet points. It was very technical and also very like quiet. I didn't have a lot of lines on the day. I had a lot of lines in my head that I would later record or sometimes record prior. So I was very involved in the process in a way, just out of necessity that I really enjoyed. And that maybe it, it, it became this dance really. And so this is actually where the physicality, what you see on camera is like me often being in this orchestrated dance with the cameraman you know with 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 the crew in a way that actually i think a lot of actors maybe try to not be so that they can be quote-unquote present when they're quote-unquote acting (laughs) 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 you know um all of that pretentiousness you know but but not that i'm not guilty of it too but you know it just to me it, it it was um yeah, maybe it was just that the 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 high technicality of it mm-hmm. that that ended up becoming more and more of what I loved about it, you mm-hmm. know. And then on, and on, on an off day, it was very frustrating because sometimes it was insular. But but that's also why scenes with Beck really paid off because it was so refreshing. Maybe after a day and a half of like ve- like very you know they're meaty scenes, but they're just me maybe, and then having a day or two or three with Elizabeth, it was like an entirely different show. And it often felt like that, which we would, we would laugh about, you know, like, you know, we'd enjoy their relationship. We'd enjoy. And it's like, Oh, but that thing I did yesterday is the thing that happens later. That's the, you know, and right. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really, we, I mean, the funny thing is, as an actor, you're, you are kind of emotionally at the, um, I was going to say beck and call <laughs> yeah, of, of of the words on the page, you know. So you so 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 you do end up experiencing a little bit of that emotional pendulum, and it was effective, you know. 
So from that writing perspective, mm -hmm. um, what was most important in terms of how you wrote who Joe was and who Beck was from Joe's lens versus when they're alone, when we see them at their maybe mm -hmm. most honest? Uh, well, the honesty is what compelled me when I read the book because when because you're inside of his head, you are hearing truly uncensored thoughts. And there's something um, that feels just accurate about that. I mean, every thought that's in my head is not... I polish them up before I say them out loud. At least I try to. <laughs> I think we all do. Um, and that part of Joe is not a crazy or alien part of Joe. The part of Joe where he looks at people and he has unflattering thoughts about... That's just cool to read or to watch because... All of us have that yeah. to some extent, I think, mm, or I'll just say most yeah. of us and people can No, I think everybody, <laughs> there's no way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the thing, I am always really drawn to characters that I have strong reactions to. And my reaction, you know, as Sarah to the character of Joe is not terribly dissimilar from Penn's. But I want to understand mm -hmm. why Joe behaves that way because though the book is fiction, there are people out there who behave that way. Mm. Um, and certainly crossing lines, invading privacy, taking agency away from people, deciding they're going to fix a young woman's life, those things happen all of the time. So in writing it, the thing that I kept in mind all the time was that I didn't want to let myself off the hook. The writers didn't want to let ourselves off the hook. Um, and we didn't want to let the character off the hook by saying that he was so different than like a human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we wanted to always understand where he was coming from. And then to answer your question about Beck, to me, this is about point of view. Because when we meet her, we meet her through Joe's eyes. And he has like a lot of ideas about why she wears a bracelet. <laughs> or, you know, why she's wearing that sweater or that shirt, right? Yeah. Um, and they're compelling. They're reasonable. Like, oh, yes, I think he might be right. But is mm -hmm. he right? As the season goes on, mm -hmm. we get more and more closely inside of Beck's point of view as well. And at a certain point, I mean, if you watch a few episodes in, you'll see that she takes over the voiceover at a certain point. Now we're inside of her head. And it turns out that Joe is not always a terribly reliable narrator. <laughs> uh, sometimes he's just flat out wrong about her. And... Um, the reason we wanted to wait a second, I'll just say, to do that is because um, we wanted to give the audience the chance to make the same mistake. You know, we wanted mm -hmm. to give everybody a chance to look it back and think the same thing mm -hmm. Joe did or think something else that could be right or wrong. And then over time, we start to kind of peel back another layer. And then again, we get to realize, oh, we're not entirely a different <laughs> species from Joe. We did the same thing he did. Mm hmm. So, Elizabeth, for you, when you're finding out that that's, first of all, going to be part of this show and part of the character, and there are all these other layers to explore, what becomes the most important aspect of how to seed some of those things early enough on so that we're not completely surprised? Or is it that you want us to be completely surprised? I think that, um, like, my like main concern has to be like what's true for Beck in that moment because she's a very complex character she's not like this one thing and though she may be one thing that Joe thinks she could be doing the contrary to that like the next day but that's what makes her human and interesting and so she's like all of these different colors like there are multiple truths inside of her and so I, I, I just tried like each day whatever scene to play that current truth what I believed that she was actually trying to do or or whatnot and and open for that to change because I think that's that's kind of what attracts me to her is that she's still figuring out life and therefore making decisions and choices that are that vary day to day 
We talk a lot about likability of characters. Do you guys feel like you have to like these characters as you write the show, as you play them? Well, apparently, it seems like. I hope you. I, I hope I, that you I, do. It seems like I don't want to say everybody. <laughs> it seems. It seems. I mean, that's the show just got picked up for a second season before it aired the first. <laughs> Somebody likes it. Enough people like it. No, you can. But I think you can like the show and still not always like root them. for the character. I think it would be exhausting to. Well, actually, it is. Yeah, I mean, so I'm really curious, especially because I have no idea what's going to happen in the second season, because enough differs from the first season mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm saying this looking at Sarah and she's got her <laughs> ideas, but I think even you guys don't necessarily know, right? You know everything already? You, oh, you no, probably we, don't, no, right? No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're figuring staff things of people out. people that will help us figure out all the details <laughs> right, for everybody. Right, right, right. So, I don't know. I, I do think that you're making a good point, though, because... You can you like a show for a lot of reasons. You like watching characters for a lot of reasons. That's completely different than saying a character is likable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find likability. I mean, the benign version mm-hmm. is I find it boring, and the more pointed version is I find it kind of misogynist. Often, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a term that I hear used a lot more frequently about female characters yeah. than male. Likability, definitely. Likability, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, and you know, pretty uh, thoughtful. Um, you know, up on the bullet points kind of people were covering this show. Um, and when something would come out of someone's mouth that questioned back in a way that nobody was questioning Joe, pretty quickly in a call like that, people would realize they were doing it. But it is something that we have all internalized. We do hold yeah. women in life to a different standard. Yeah, it's like the curtain thing. Everyone's like, why doesn't she have curtains? Why doesn't <laughs> like, she have why curtains? Why is Joe like, standing outside? Right, why is this man stalking like, her? Should not be if Joe the, didn't have curtains, I think we'd say it about Joe as well. Well, Joe, it's funny, Joe has, like, curtains upon curtains. Right. You see the shit that Joe does in the hallway of his apartment building? This doesn't hold a candle. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> this dude masturbates in broad street life. It's true. He is, he is on a stoop, on a street that I used to live on. Oh, there's just way. more room for an anti-hero. So that's up. actually a really... That, so this is what was so troubling for me is I thought in the beginning, mm-hmm. before I signed on and was really wondering whether or not I was capable, I was thinking... Do I want to participate in bringing someone like him to life? Mm. And now that we've done it, I b- very bizarrely find after I watch, some, try to watch, you know, some other show that's being binged across the world, and I'm like, you know what? Somehow, and of course I'm biased, somehow I find the emotional responsibility, like the way Sarah was saying earlier, that we don't really let Joe off the hook, we don't let the viewer off the hook. For reasons you'll discover as you watch the first season, to me, as hard as it might be to watch, and as complicated as it might be, you know, I mean, it's, nothing's perfect. Um, this show somehow is kind of like following the logic that is that 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 others like to sort of abbreviate. They're like, oh, we like it up to a point, but then like, no, that's crazy. But it's like, well, if you started it, you might have to finish it. <laughs> and Joe finishes it. <laughs> Joe fully finishes right. all too soon <laughs> oh, he's, uh, spoiler yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> no 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 I, that's, that's, that, that was a that was a triple that's such a vague spoiler when I you know, find right? out what <laughs> that really means and you're like oh my god that's yeah. what he was talking that's, about uh, think of this moment when you watch the end of episode mm-hmm. 3 yes. yeah, yeah. Um, this is a very broad question and I don't mean to put you on the spot but I'm going to do it anyway what was the most complex scene for you Sarah as a writer to make 
happen to just get through and then also for you guys as actors to just find that place of where we you know need to be i'm interested i want to hear your answer first because i don't i'm not even sure do you know there yeah i mean there there were many scenes that were technically challenging along the way but if i understand your question you mean like a deeper level of challenging no it could be Um, either honestly whatever's whatever's um, honest for you i i as you know as their relationship develops and complicates and then gets really complicated towards the second half of the season. I'm trying to answer this question yeah, we can't really evocatively give, without yeah. spoilers. But I will say that um, uh, I did not want to say that we had uh, completed a season of the show without really feeling like there were things about Beck's point of view that we had nailed. And there are things about how she feels, what she observes, and how she really feels about Joe. Um, that don't come out till quite late in the season. And an interesting challenge about that, I wrote the finale um, with a writer named Neil Reynolds, who's great. And um, we we had a couple of tools at our disposal. She's a writer, so she sometimes writes poems and fiction to kind of um, try to encapsulate how she's feeling. And we were, like, pulling out all the stops to try to get there. It's like, Joe, we can let you directly into his brain mm-hmm. at any moment in the series. Back was a longer journey. I hope that's not a boring answer because nope, I can't give any plot yeah, away. The we, hard stuff is at the you end. You know, I okay. can remember some of the like. Yeah, we just unfortunately, without majorly spoiling things, we can't. It's a great question. And that's why I, <laughs> I I I kept thinking leading up to press. Like, I don't know how to talk about this show very well without hmm. being able to kind of like discuss what happens. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you know, you'll have to wait for a later date. But 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 I think you know. To give to give anybody listening to this like a a bit of a teaser, um, not any of the what's happening, but like episodes, like once the sixth episode hits, mm-hmm. I think it really shifts into a gear that you actually never thought it would even do in the first season. Uh, you know, it 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 goes very far, and then it stays there, and then it keeps going, and the repercussions stick. It's not mm-hmm. like just getting away with anything, mm-hmm. you know. And and so by the seventh and eighth episode, by the ninth in particular, you know there are things happening that are um, so poignant and complicated between them. And I and I, as an actor, as a person who did feel so complicated about Joe, um, was really kind of like able to finally f- see, see, maybe see him with less judgment and. And feel his pain, mm-hmm. maybe by like episode nine, kind of late, right? <laughs> but uh, it's a complicated but character. The, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, and it's like I don't think it's I don't think it's real. Like an actor can separate themselves from what they're doing, and so I, so I, you know, for me, I was just always kind of trying to protect myself as well, and so it was, it was just, it was just a. I, I don't, I don't pretend to have thought that I did a hundred percent complete job at all times. I was always learning, and you know, sometimes it was inconsistent, but. And we, you know, we experienced that towards the end of the season because I'm like, man, how, he's how do how do how, you know? It's like how, this thing that I thought I understood about him. How does it now make sense? Right. And that continued to be challenged, and you know, what do you guys feel like you've learned from the show about um, privacy or security or social media or just this culture that we're living in? The gaze that you're maybe going to apply to your life. Elizabeth's going to put up curtains. <laughs> <laughs> I. Well, um, 
For me, it's just such a good reminder that people um, are not always what they seem, especially through the lens of social media. And I often, you know, whatever emotion like a certain Instagram page brings up, I think it's always good to remind yourself that that's not the whole truth of anyone. It may be even partly... It, like barely any kind of truth. Right, maybe, you know? right. And and I think that's just good for my mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think I've revealed a lot about this. my thought processes throughout. I happen to not think about the social media aspect as much because my relationship to it is has taken a, a certain kind of discipline that I've needed to develop over the years because of privacy and all that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think about it as much now, uh, as much then. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. But it, but that happens to just not be an element that that I thought about with Joe. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to assume you're in public most of the time. It was my takeaway. Right. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean is that I already lived that for right. some time. Yeah, so that's so. kind of why. Right. It's interesting you say it like well, that. So you developed at least the discipline to protect yourself versus and then I also was pitching the show pursue. with my phone unlocked. <laughs> Greg Berlanti had to be like, are you serious? You don't have password protection on your phone? Like, who's yeah, going to... We will like, say we didn't know that was possible. Nothing? Like, we were just in this room talking about what happened. He has her phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, things are happening all of the mm-hmm. time. This week, there's so much in the news that's about um, a thing that pe- someone tweeted 10 years ago or whatever. You just kind of have to assume people are listening. Mm. Um, and when these platforms first arose, when I first joined some of these platforms, they really felt like, they felt like a little scrapbook that I was keeping <laughs> with my friends. Like, yeah. I, all of my stuff was set to private. It. it was before the day that I got a job where they said, we need you to set this to public so you can publicize the show that you're working on. And, um, yeah, so everything's yeah. public. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. better for worse. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Thank it's great you to have you. Us. And you premieres on Lifetime September 9th, so everybody check that out. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with the cast and creators of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And if you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on the show? Email us at podcasts at variety.com. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.